Welcome to another episode of the Eagles Water Cooler. I'm joined by Matt tonight, and we are going to review the Eagles win 23-9 over the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. The Eagles are in first place in the NFC East. Uh, they are now in their bye week. Uh, it's been a very odd 2020 season so far, really matches the year. And uh, first place in a win over the Cowboys never felt so strange, Matt. Yes, once again, ugly Chris. But a win is a win, and we will take any win against the Dallas Cowboys. God, I hate him, Chris. So, Likewise. even though it was bad, and once again, we need to improve in some aspects of our game, there were some aspects that shined. I think BG is one of them, and we'll get into him later on, but... A win's a win, and we walked away still first in the NFC East. So let's keep riding that wave. Yeah, and let's ride the wave of positivity and focus on some of the, the good things that happened, and then we'll get to some of the things that uh, make this first place uh, situation that we're in and also this most recent win feel a little, little different than uh, other years. But starting with the good, uh, I think as far as – uh, my fandom as an eagle, I cannot remember sort of a more like meteoric rise <laughs> from a wide receiver than we're seeing from Travis Fulgham, who uh, bounced around the league at, in different practice squad situations, was a walk-on at Old Dominion, which is a, a college more known for basketball. And uh, he's just been a, a player and, and creates highlight plays every game. So since Fulgham has uh, stepped in, uh, his first game was a Sunday night football game out in San Francisco against the 49ers. He's had the following performances against San Francisco against San Francisco. He had two catches for 57 yards and a touchdown against Pittsburgh. He had 10 catches for 152 yards and a touchdown against Baltimore. He had six catches for 75 yards and a touchdown against the giants. He had five catches for 73 yards, no touchdown in that game. Uh, but in this most recent game against Dallas, six for 78 with the touchdown. And the touchdown was an absolute beauty. Matt and I were just talking before the pod about that just being one of those number one wide receiver type uh, throws. Carson just throws a little fade uh, to the back pylon and um, he just makes the play. So uh, I think we're seeing a player really kind of blossom here in front of us. And it's nice to see um, that the Eagles were able to find a player like this and develop them in a year where injuries and other things sort of plagued them. And this guy could emerge and really step up. So Matt, what do you want to say on Fulgham? Yeah, Chris, listen, you were first on the Fulgham fandom, the Fulgham bandwagon. I think Mike and Andrew followed shortly after I was a little bit hesitant to jump on ship and I am fully on board Two two. Let's ride the Fulgham train. He has produced and he is, uh, you know, what we needed. And he is a highlight, a Cinderella story. I love what he is doing with the Philadelphia Eagles. And just the connection that he's made in the last few games with Carson Wentz, we really see a chemistry developing there, which is fun to see right in front of our eyes. Just some stats that I have. Uh, Travis Fulgham is tied six for pro football focus grade amongst wide receivers ranks six in passer rating when targeted and seventh in yards per route run. Uh, also from Ruben Frank, Travis Fulgham's 435 yards in his first five games is an e uh, as an Eagle are the most by any Eagles wide receiver in any five-game stretch since Jeremy Macklin had 456 yards from week eight through week 12 in 2014. So that's a lot of production, Chris. Absolutely. And 
his confidence can only grow over time. I was listening back to an old uh, podcast. Yeah, I think this guy is an underdog, and the city loves underdogs, and we are fully behind him, and he feels that energy, and he is thriving off that energy. So I think the sky's the limit for this guy. Hope he stays healthy and continues to be a weapon on the field, Chris. Yeah, and I think, you know, for any sort of disbelieving for anybody, uh, you know, looking at one game is too small a sample size, but now seeing it game after game, thinking about the performances against some of the better teams and thinking about the way the defenses are usually putting their number one uh, corner on Travis Fulgham. Uh The defenses are, are respecting the threat that he poses um, and that it seems like the Eagles are sort of positioning him to be uh, in those big play moments. So, uh, Wentz and him clearly have a connection. I think we'll continue to see it uh, sort of grow as the year goes on, but he's on pace to eclipse a thousand yards. And and I think that may very well happen. Um, I mean, the guy just in this production in, in the time that he's been in uh, has shown the ability to, to make an impact. He's made an impact in every game that he's played, even uh, against the giants when he had no touchdowns, made some uh, crucial plays. So I think, we are in a unique position to watch a guy who came in, had kind of a winding path to get to the Eagles, stuck here because of injuries and was able to step in and make some plays and, and is one of the few bright spots in a very odd year. Yeah, Chris, uh, that would be great. Uh, not only an odd, but a slight down year for the Eagles to have a receiver over a thousand yards would be phenomenal and to uh, cap this off uh, adding on to those 435 receiving yards that I mentioned earlier he is the top receiver in the whole NFL since week four in receiving yards so I this guy is killing it right now I love it and I know you do too Absolutely. Yeah. It's great to, it's great to have a guy like this on the team. And it's great to know that our offense has that kind of threat uh, to pose to opposing defenses, but moving on uh, one of the other bright spots in this game, I thought was the production on the ground we saw from Boston Scott. Matt was not with us on our last podcast, but we talked a lot about the potential in Miles Sanders absence, Boston Scott and Corey Clement or some combination of the two to be able to just run the ball and first play of the game, Boston Scott, Boston Scott runs for 20 yards, uh, just scampers right through the line. Uh, overall in the game, he went 15 for 70. He averaged 4.7 yards per carry. Um, I think 61 of those yards came in the first half. So not long after uh, the second half started, they sort of went away from the run. Obviously, they were trailing 9-7 to the lowly Dallas Cowboys, and we'll touch on that later. Um, but it, it was kind of a situation where I think – Wentz and the offense and probably Doug would have benefited from simplifying things and just running through Boston Scott, who was having success against one of the worst run defenses in the league. Um, we do hope Miles is, is going to be, be returning. And as I mentioned at the top of the podcast here, the Eagles are on their bye week. But um, I saw a little bit from Boston Scott there, Matt, that, that made me hopeful moving forward here, that if Miles has to you know, go a game or, or two, or maybe he's still a couple games off from, from fully coming back into form. Um, I think the Eagles can run with Boston Scott. Uh, it's really a matter of whether or not the plays are called, but I think the line did enough. Uh, and we'll touch on the line in a little while here, but I think they did enough to sort of provide opportunities in the run game. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I wish he had a, uh... 15 carries I wish he had 20 carries now we do have to understand that Boston Scott is not an every down back like a Miles Sanders due to his size and we did see Corey Clement get in there only had five rush uh, rushing attempts but it was good to see him at least get some attempts so they combined for 20 rushing attempts but to your point Chris Cowboys rush defense was awful and we could have we should have just kept feeding him the rock because it was productive he you know I would have loved to see 100 yards out of him and I think with how the offensive line was dealing with the defensive line yeah we could have continued that momentum taking some time off the clock especially when we did gain the lead 
and controlled the game that way. Maybe helped Carson set up the pass a little bit more. Maybe helped set up some play action. So I think we should have used the run more to our benefit because it was working. It was successful very early on in the game. As you said, in the first half was most of Boston Scott's production. Yes, we were down going into halftime, but only by two points. Uh, and, you know, why not continue with the run, continue with Boston Scott off of a stellar game with the Giants? I, I, I don't get it. We shied away from it, as you said. And he seemed to be doing okay with the workload. But that's not where Doug Peterson saw the offense going, unfortunately. Uh, but kudos to Boston Scott for what he did. Also had uh, two catches as well. So, you know, I, I like the production that he did, and I like what he's been doing in Miles Sanders' absence. And, you know, when Miles Sanders dumps, does come back, I know that he is our primary running back, but it's great to see that Boston is reliable. And when Miles needs a breather or we can have a, a dual running back set with both of them back there, it can work. I think it can too. I think – um, Miles, I'm sorry, I think Boston showed he can be productive on the ground. So I think what we saw in this game was that the uh, game planning might have gone away from the run, but that when called, uh, Boston Scott was able to run on the ground. Now it was against one of the worst run defenses in the league, but I'm not sure why Doug didn't take advantage. But when Boston Scott was uh, put in a position to make running plays, he did. Um, so that is a, a promising thing moving forward. And, and he may be called into action as the number one running back again this season. We'll hope Miles Sanders stays healthy, but uh, he seems to have a little bit of an injury thing every once in a while. So I, I don't know if we can predict this moving forward. I hope not. Um, but my thinking is uh, if we're seeing this from Boston Scott, that Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson could both benefit from being able to sort of lean on the run game from time to time. Uh, let's move on to talk a little bit about Jalen Rager, who uh, came back from injury, had been placed on IR, uh, was out for several games and uh, returned. He was wearing a brace on his thumb, which was noted by Chris Collinsworth on the Sunday Night Football broadcast. I thought Rager had a decent game. I think he only amassed something like 16 yards, but um, he, he did have a, a, an interesting, I'll say, touchdown catch uh, on what I thought was actually a, a kind of a cool play design where he sort of ran across the formation um, toward the opposite pylon, caught the ball, and just sort of reached across the line um, and scored the touchdown. That way showed some athleticism. Um, but later in the game, he made a play, which I think probably only totaled maybe five or six yards, but caught a pass that might have been for a yard or, or even a, a lateral and slipped a defender and ran upfield just past the first down marker uh, and, and out of bounds. And I thought in that moment, you know, in a different situation or in a different field position, that that might be a play that Rager could take to the house. But even just to be able to create that out of it instead of what looked to be a short tackle for loss, uh, being able to dodge the first defender and create some positive yardage. That's a little bit of what we saw uh, in his college tape and, and the production that he created. He also had that two-point conversion uh, catch, which Carson really threw low and, and Rager kind of scooped up. So I, I don't know what your expectations were, Matt. We talked a little bit about it on the last podcast, but I like what I'm seeing from Rager. I wouldn't be surprised if they are sort of easing him back in. Um, but at the end of the game there on that fourth and two where he gets thrown that pass, he beats his man clean uh, and is kind of in the top corner of the end zone and turns around to catch the ball and has it in his hands and has it punched out by the defender. I, I really want to see our first round draft pick make that play. And um, I think it was just kind of a bang, bang play. And the defender did make a great play on the ball, but I want to see Rager make that play. So I was, I was pleased with what I saw. He did score a touchdown. Um, but I think as time goes on, I, my expectations are going to kind of raise up for him. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. Not going to lie, my expectations weren't that high. Uh, not that I don't have faith in Rager. I just think a rookie coming back from injury, we weren't going to see him that much, especially with the amount of time Hightower has been getting. Mm -hmm. And we saw a lot more than I thought we would. And I was okay with that. Yeah, the numbers aren't great. He was targeted six times. You said uh, only caught three for 16 yards. 
but one was the touchdown. And that uh, play that should have gone for nothing, he turns into a positive six-yard rush. So he he's making something out of nothing, which is uh, great. And using that speed, uh, and that's that's why we got the guy. So we have talked about this earlier, Chris. I unfortunately for Rager, he started out the season with seeing a bad Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz in his first three games struggled and struggled mightily. And the poor guy comes back to one of Carson Wentz's uh, worst games of the season, maybe his career, Chris. I haven't seen a Carson Wentz this bad since I want to say maybe his rookie year or one of the uh, injury years. So, yeah, uh, Reger has not seen a quality quarterback play and – once those two are firing on all cylinders, it could be very exciting out there, Chris. So there's still a lot to come from this young kid. And just the fact that he was back from injury, I think is an, a win in itself. Um, and not to get down, Chris, but I, I do want to bring up uh, Pro Football Focus has Justin Dre- Jeffries, the, the pick right after Reger, as the highest pick in the uh, uh out of the uh, first or the, the highest rated first round pick so far uh for the minnesota vikings uh and you know it's it's just it's tough to see because here's a wide receiver performing well uh for the minnesota vikings and yeah you can't blame an injury on uh Rager, but you know and the draft can be uh could have what it is a could have what it should game but you know i'm just excited to see the rest of reger's rookie campaign and turn it on when wentz is fully ready to go hopefully that starts after the bye week because we need a better performance out of Wentz for reger to succeed yeah, for sure. And we did see them connect on a deep pass in that first game against Washington when Rager got to flash that speed a little bit. Correct. Definitely. That um, moving forward. But you bring up a great point in Justin Jefferson. I think him and Jalen Rager. Jefferson, yep. Uh, as well as CeeDee Lamb will kind of forever be compared. Um, but I do think Jalen Rager, to me, flashes when he plays. I don't know if um, if he looks that way to you when you're watching, but he, he has a certain, I think, presence just because of his build, um, but he's clearly a really fast guy. I mean, when you watch that play that I mentioned that was, uh, I think, fourth and two that he wound up not coming down with, I mean, he, he beats his guy clean. Uh, same thing when he was down in Washington and ran for that 55-yard catch. I mean, he's just clearly running past his guy. He's just a better athlete. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot from Rager moving forward. But you also bring up, you know, he's seeing Wentz at these sort of low points uh, in his 2020 season so far. And I think that our understanding of that uh, need for time between a quarterback and a receiver to develop a rapport, to develop an understanding of sort of how they operate is important. And obviously it seems to have happened really quickly, almost fast forwarded with Travis Fulgham um, and, um, and Carson Wentz and the way that their relationship has sort of developed. But I mean, to me, Rager needs a little bit more time and probably uh, needs to be eased in a little bit more coming off of his injury uh, to really be a part of the game plan where he can be posing a threat, you know, running in orbit motion or running downfield or any of those sorts of things. Cause I think they drafted him to do all of that. Um, the other damning thing I think for the Eagles medical staff is Rager has almost no injury history um, before having, if you remember at the end of training camp, a tear in his shoulder. Uh, yes. Yep. Uh, most recently this thumb injury. So he's somebody who, you know, comes to Philadelphia with almost no injury history and then comes here and has two injuries in his rookie year. So he is overcoming a lot, but uh, I think it was Torrey Smith, uh, former Eagle during their Super Bowl campaign who tweeted Travis Fulgham and Jalen Rager are the future of the Philadelphia Eagles wide receivers. And I really hope that's the case. I think that's promising. Yeah, Chris, I couldn't agree more. And you bring up a a great point with how quickly the chemistry was developed between Fulgham and Wentz. You can also point to Wentz and Greg Ward. 
from uh, last season to this season. They have established rapport with each other too. And I would throw uh, Ward into that mix with uh, Fulgham and Rager as far as the future goes. I I still like what uh, Ward Jr. is doing. Yes, uh, not a lot of production, three catches for 10 yards, but we also had that kind of trick play where uh, he gets the pitch and he's ready to throw the ball downfield. Former quarterback, college quarterback, uh, doesn't see anything and he takes off. Uh, so good recognition by Greg Ward, and uh, I, I like uh, I like him too. So we we do have a good mix of, of young guys in there, and I like to see them all continue to develop. Yeah, and I think the relationships are you know probably really unique, and I think uh, Greg Ward's that you touched on is a, is another really important one. He plays a kind of role, and what we talked about at the beginning of this year was the team lack an identity. As Jalen Rager settles into his role, as Travis Fulgham has settled into his role, as Greg Ward settles into his role, we sort of have a, a concept or a vision of what our wide receiving core looks like, and it seems kind of balanced. We have players who are operating within roles, and, and the offense can start to game plan uh, sort of around those roles. So let's hope we see more of that uh, after the bye. Another returning player from injury is Dallas Goddard, who only made one crucial catch for, I think it was 15 yards. Um, to me, every time Carson Wentz throws in the ball, it just looks easy. It looks natural. Um, they're another duo that seemed to have a really good connection. Uh, this is not a jumping off point to talk about Zach Ertz because I feel like Dallas Goddard cannot be brought up without Zach Ertz being brought up. Um, but obviously Zach Ertz being injured right now and Goddard having returned earlier than expected from a broken ankle as well as a high ankle sprain. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. And let's hope that the bye week does him well and he can come back and continue to have that connection. Um, you know, I think Richard Rodgers was serviceable in his absence and made some big plays where he needed to. Um, but we may be looking at Goddard as, as tight end one, at least for a little while longer. I'm not sure how much longer Zach Ertz will be out. Maddie. Yeah, Chris. Uh, Zerline misses his uh, fourth field goal attempt after going three for three, five minutes left in the third. And then Wentz comes back and it's Dallas Goddard's first catch. Man, I took a sigh of relief because I felt this momentum shift in the game. And just to have Goddard back on the field and make that 15-yard catch, it just felt good. It felt like a weight lifted in the game and on me as a fan. And I mean, they took control of the rest of the game. Yeah, it was late in the third, and we should have dominated the whole game. But from that point on, I felt, okay, guys, we have this game. And it was that uh, missed field goal and that Dallas Goddard catch that, you know, really shifted the momentum and changed my mind as a fan. How did you feel about it? Yeah, there's something about Goddard, and it's nothing against Ertz because Ertz wins in, in certain kinds of ways and just kind of beats his man and catches the ball and makes contested catches where he needs to and, and makes tough plays. But there's something about Goddard where you know he's going to catch the ball and be on the move. And he's got this sort of tall build with really yep. long shoulders. And he's got, it's, it's like, a, like an angry moose or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Great way to describe him. And, and he also he blocked well during the game, which you and don't hear a lot about. Yeah, that's a huge part of his presence in the game. And they definitely lined him up to, to do that a lot. I wonder how much that affords them the ability to also run the ball uh, earlier in the game because he was in on a lot of those plays. So, for me, Goddard's exciting. Uh, it's, it's good to have him back. I, I think they may still continue to ease him in and kind of test the waters there, see how he's feeling. But his connection with Wentz is clear. And, and to me as a fan, there's something about the fact that I expect him to catch the ball and sort of be on the move. Um, and that is different from what we've come to expect with, with Zach. And I, I believe he will still be out uh, even following the bye. So yeah. he won't be leaning on Dallas Goddard. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, I, I have to immediately touch on TJ Edwards, who finally, finally the Eagles have a game where the linebacking core has a player who, who makes a significant contribution. So TJ Edwards in the game overall had 12 tackles. The guy was flashing. I think his number is 57. 57. Yes. Um, uh, let, let me double check that, Chris, but I believe he's you're right. all over the field. I mean, he, his, his, uh, his number just turned up everywhere, and it just seemed like 
all of a sudden they had a he's kind of a bigger body too which you know when the Eagles were successful in recent years they had a bigger bodied linebacker like a uh Nigel Bradham in the backfield um or I'm sorry in uh, in the linebacking course so you know I I think he's kind of got the build he seems like He's a player who's been with the team undrafted out of Wisconsin, as Matt mentioned to me right before the podcast. So this is a find. And um, obviously he's forming into a role, but if he can become, you know, the middle linebacker, uh, geriatric, Nate geriatric is clearly not the guy. Uh, and even if he was uh, able to play right now, he's uh, unfortunately he's injured. Um, but TJ Edwards has stepped in and he's been able to be, uh, to be successful. So, I mean, it was nice to see in this game just him have a a nice outing. And obviously at the end of the game uh, comes up with a crucial sack where he comes screaming through the line uh, and just hits Ben DiNucci, just clearly uh, wraps him up like a textbook tackle. Uh, and it leads to a fumble and, and maybe a questionable scoop and score that Matt and I will touch on. Um, but TJ Edwards, man, I mean, finally a good game from a linebacker. Yeah, Chris, you hit all the points. It was great to see, especially a middle linebacker, uh, come out there and play. You know, we, we've had some good ones in the, the past. I always think of the Axeman, Jeremiah Trotter, in the middle there. Uh, so, yeah, I, that, that's high praise. I don't know if I want to go that far. But, I, you know, we, we've had some uh, stalwarts at middle linebacker, and uh, I would like to see another one. Um, but he, he played well. And one of the plays that we had talked about was end of the first half. Zeke seemed to start catching a little bit of fire and TJ stepped up and just stuck him, drove him into the ground for a tackle for a loss. And, uh, it kept the clock running and, uh, it, it was it was a great play. So he was all over the field, um, and so was so was Singleton. So great play from both our linebackers. And let's put Nathan Geriatric to bed because I, I think uh, we've seen enough of him. Yeah, and I, I think if we can see, you know, just just the same as some of the other players have settled into roles. We mentioned Travis Fulgham earlier. It seems as though by proxy, uh, T.J. Edwards is coming back off of injury. Nate, Nate Geriatric just went on injury, uh, excuse me, injured reserve. So, you know, the timeliness of it is what it is. But obviously, we saw uh, T.J. Edwards make some plays. Now, are there faults in his game? Is he as good uh, running down as he is uh, – you know, in, I'm sorry, is he as good in, in pass coverage as he is uh, in his run defense? I think that part of his game kind of remains to be seen, but we saw him flash all over the field. And I think uh, the parts of his game where he's kind of lacking, Alex Singleton, whom who Matt touched on, um, sort of makes up for that. So I think they have some presences now in the linebacking core in the absence of Nate Geriatric uh, to, to be able to sort of handle some of the good um, – linebackers and other players that the Eagles are going to face on the stretch here. And there still are uh, a few teams on their schedule coming up who are going to pose that threat. Definitely. Uh, Singleton, just a to touch on the eight tackles, eight total tackles, one QB hit, And you said that 12 tackles from TJ, two tackles for a loss and the huge strip sack. So uh, a lot of good production production by both of those gentlemen. Yeah, and it's, it's just good to see. You know, I think after the way that this year started, linebacker was one of those positions that we thought this, this needs a complete overhaul and what a mess and how could they have thought Nate Geriatric was the guy. And, you know, whether or not it was the coaching or, or whatever the scenario was, obviously things have fallen how they've fallen. And if TJ Edwards and Alex Singleton in some combination can create uh, a little bit more of a presence there in the linebacking core, I think this defense – is not just so front heavy. We talked about that in past podcasts, that the real strength is in the D line. If there's a little bit more of a threat, if there's more of an ability to make plays from the linebackers, um, then I think it just, it's just going to strengthen the defense, which has really been the strength of the team so far this year, in my opinion. So moving on to talk about another defensive player. Uh, I think Darius Slay, the, the phrase that came to mind um, when I thought about him after this game is he is exactly as advertised. There are a few things in this world, let alone in football, that are as advertised. But uh, Darius Slade, despite being 
maybe 30. I don't know if he's 29 or 30, but despite being the age that he's at, uh, you know, he's performed, outperformed, I think, Eagle fan expectations. So, so far in 2020, uh, he's matched up against in the first game, Terry McLaurin, uh, the Washington football team. He held him to 28 yards against the Rams. Uh, Darius Slay followed Cooper Cup and Robert Woods held them to 18 yards. Against Cincinnati, followed Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green, held them to 31 yards. Against San Francisco, uh, he followed George Kittle and Debo Samuel, held them to 21 yards. Against Pittsburgh, he followed Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool, held them to 37 yards. Against Baltimore, he shattered Marquise Brown and held them to 47 yards. And against um, Darius Slayton and uh, Sterling Shepard of New York Giants held him to 25 yards. He shadowed Amari uh, Cooper for the time he was in this game against the Cowboys. Um, although he, uh, Darius Slay had to leave with an ankle injury. The ankle monster strikes again, Maddie. Yeah. And Darius Slay had to leave, but he, he held him to no uh, catches for zero yards. Uh, and when he left, I think Amari might have had one catch for five yards. But the resume speaks for itself. I mean, he's holding all of uh, his opposition to almost no impact in the game. Um, sort of zeroing out one side of the field. So uh, it's just really great to see a player come in. Um, and and it's been a need for the Eagles for a long time to have someone like this in the defensive backfield and playing on the outside against top talent. And I think to zero in on this game against the Cowboys, the, the roster is really meant to be built to sort of play the division first. And the biggest threat that the Eagles faced for a long time was the damage that Amari Cooper was doing to them every time they played the Dallas Cowboys. So essentially, uh, Darius Slay kind of neutralized him. Truthfully, uh, in watching the game, Amari Cooper looks pretty checked out to me. doesn't look like he wants to play football even anymore. Um, but uh, maybe that was just this game or in light of all the, the injuries down in Dallas. But uh, Darius Slay's resume speaks for itself. He's always facing the number one on the other team and, and seemingly from the numbers – always shutting them down so uh he does just what we expected him to do and I, I don't know that there's any complaints i think the eagles traded a third and a fifth uh for darius slay so definitely well worth it yeah chris i could not be more happier with the signing uh fun fact darius slay is a new year's baby born january 1st 1991 he is 29 years old out of brunswick georgia now, Chris, if you can refresh my memory, because I was scrambling to find it, in this past offseason, there was two big signings uh, on the board as far as D-backs go. It was Darius Slay and the other uh, cornerback who... Gilmore, was it? I'm sorry? It wasn't Gilmore, was it? I don't think it was Gilmore. I'll, I'll keep looking here, but... I know last year Ramsey got traded in the middle of the year. Yeah, Ramsey got traded, but I know the Eagles were between two uh, two cornerbacks, and Darius Slay was kind of the, the second, and this guy was the first. I'll find the name and uh, give you some stats. I talked about um, – there was a few of them kicked around. You're right. But I, I think we're coming out winners here. I have – Pro Football Focus, they have him listed as the 35th best corner. Um, now, that seems a little low to me, and these uh, stats can vary from time to time. But, uh, I mean, look at the numbers you just read and look at the receivers that you, you talked about. Those are all number one receivers. And he's just playing shutdown defense. Teams are afraid to throw to that side because they know Darius Slay is on that side. Just what concerns me is is the other side of the ball, Chris. Um, how much face do you have in uh, uh, Vontae Maddox? Because I, I see his game over the last two games kind of falling off. He, uh, he did lead the team in tackles, I believe, or uh, he, he was up there in tackles. Uh, but he had a, a crucial PI. Um, there was another catch that went for yards. So uh, you do see, I'm sorry, he led teams, he led the team in solo tackles with seven, but uh, that was his only production. Um, and I, I'm sorry, that, that's just not, uh, not enough for me. And he's pretty consistent with uh, 
his PI calls at least once a game. So I, I love what Darius Slay's doing. We just need to get the same production on the other side of uh, the field there, Chris. Yeah, and that, that is, that's definitely a, a big topic. And I think as, as we get into bye week stuff, that'll probably continue to come up in the next podcast. But I think both in this game against Amari Cooper, who we might be able to make the argument Darius Slay was brought here specifically to shut down Amari Cooper because of, as I mentioned before, what he's done to the Eagles in the past. Um, but obviously all the competition that he's faced this year has been uh, really min- minimized, if not neutralized, um, by his presence in the backfield. So I think he, he makes quarterbacks think twice. Um, and in this game, it was no different. Unfortunately, he did have to leave the game. Uh, but in an update I saw today, he will be all right. Doug Peterson said that he's expected to play after the bye. So that side of the field and uh, the opposing team's uh, number one receivers will still be traveled with by Darius Slay. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, and it's not going to get any easier, Chris. Uh, we have the Browns. Uh, so he's going to see um, – who is it? Uh, OBJ's Hurts. Uh, Landry. He'll see Landry. Uh, Seahawks, both uh, Lockett and DK Metcalf are going off. Uh, Packers. Um at, uh, Devontae Adams. Uh, so it, there's a lot of talent that uh, Darius Slay will see. And, you know, we hope he keeps playing as he has been playing. Well, and you mentioned something interesting, and I'm not sure, you know, I know about obviously uh, Dell Beckham uh, having the injury, and, and Jarvis Landry typically is more of a slot receiver. Correct. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, when we play Cleveland, when that comes up, sort of if, if Darius Slay is put into the slot to play the number one, how the rest of the defense configures based on what you were talking about. But to keep the focus on this win over the Cowboys, uh, to claim the, the number one spot in the NFC East, uh, another great performance from Brandon Graham. Who, oh, BG, baby. BG, we can all agree, is having a career year. Uh, he has four tackles in this game, two with Butcher solo, one strip sack, uh, one tackle for loss. Um, he, he is on track for a career year, as I mentioned. Uh, the timeliness of his big plays. Uh, this time, not as much at the end of the game where he's really known to make plays, uh, but in the very beginning of the game, after the Eagles lose the ball um, and Dallas recovers and Ben DiNucci is driving the Dallas Cowboys down the field, uh, they get into the red zone and Brandon Graham uh, causes Ben DiNucci to fumble uh, on a sack. And he just seems to have this knack for making plays. And I think we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast that he's so consistent that he makes plays in the clutch moments and the in-between moments. Um, But this is a guy who was drafted in 2010 and we're seeing him really come into full form here. So uh, this game against the Cowboys was no different and and his impact on the game is unmistakable. Uh, The defense as a whole, but Brandon Graham being a leader of it, uh, I think his um, his presence in this game was was felt early. Yes, Chris, he has been all over the ball. Uh, he's a fine wine, gets better with age. He just keeps producing year after year. And where he heard it from the Eagles fans early on, we've said it time and time again. He just put his head down, hit the weight room, kept working at his craft, and just keeps getting better. And where you see players slow down at this point in their career, no, he's gotten faster. He's gotten better. He keeps reading defenses. Just his game just keeps improving. And he's become a leader on the field, too. Uh, We go back to identity, Chris, where we've seen this team not really having an identity. And I think Brandon Graham is one of those guys that, you know, was the leader with Malcolm Jenkins is now stepping up into those shoes and being a leader on the field. He, he's always been a leader, but he's, he's really owning that role as the main leader of the defensive side of the ball. And that's great to see from this guy, Chris. Yeah. I, this is, uh, this is not kind, but just look at where Earl Thomas is now, you know, the, the, the talk in Philadelphia for so long was about the fact that Brandon Graham was selected over Earl Thomas. Yeah. The impact that Earl Thomas had for so many years. And obviously I'm not making light of, you know, the troubles that Earl Thomas has had and obviously the domestic abuse and all that sort of stuff that's going on for him, uh, which is really unfortunate, but you know, the, the sort of 
start that Brandon Graham had to his career, the way that he was uh, looked at by the Philadelphia fan base, the way that he was able to undergo changes in the defensive scheme, changes in head coaching, changes in defensive coordinator. And now uh, in 2020, after having been drafted in 2010, uh, is in probably his most productive year. And I believe uh, we mentioned in the last podcast, I think we said he was on track for something like 14 sacks this season. So uh, I, obviously we're seeing a career year from a player who's a lifetime Eagle, and it's just fun to watch. Again, one of the few bright spots in this down uh, kind of strange 2020 year. But as we uh, touch on a final bright spot, we have to turn the page to talk about some of the ugliness of this team. And, and really, to me, it starts with Carson Wentz. Um, I, I have never, so far as, as an Eagle fan with Wentz as the quarterback, I've never questioned uh, his presence in the game more than I did against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it really seemed at points that he had no idea what he was doing out there from a fan perspective. Yeah. Uh, looking at the defense, uh, completely unsure of how to handle situations, not getting rid of the ball, holding on to the ball just too long. We brought this up on the last podcast. There's times Carson has a clean pocket and sort of elects to hold on to it to wait for things to be just right. And uh, maybe not letting the offense work for him, trying to force things. Um, but four turnovers in this game, which Matt's going to dive deep on, poor decision-making, still a, a push to play hero ball um, and, and try to make things happen that, as I mentioned to Matt before the podcast, some of these things he's trying to make happen, which maybe he's modeling after a, a, an Aaron Rodgers or a Drew Brees or whoever. But Carson is not only not make, capable of making some of these plays um, in the games that he's in, but just from the perspective of sort of his abilities at this point, he may not be capable, capable of making them, period. Um, so this hero ball stuff really is, is starting to wear. And you might say it's the same formula that allows him to make that big pass uh, to Boston Scott at the end of the Giants game, and that's the double-edged sword of Carson Wentz. But it seems to me that he's playing with that mentality 100% of the time, and it's unnecessary. But, Matt, let's talk a little bit about these turnovers. Yeah, Chris. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Two fumbles and two interceptions against a defense that is currently not ranked in the top 20 uh, defenses. So let's get right into it. The first one, he rolls out to his left. Uh, we talked to him, why is he rolling to his left when he's a righty? That just causes extra time for him to have to set up uh, and throw uh, right or throw across his body if he's still on the run. You brought up a good point. Malata is playing right tackle this time. Peterson at left. Maybe he felt less confident. But still, his eyes are completely downfield the whole time, and the cornerback is coming up. And there's a good 10 to 15 yards between him. The defender is running full speed at him in a brightly colored, clean, white jersey. And this guy has no sight of this huge defender running at him. And oh, he walked into traffic. He, he, he wallops him, Chris. He just completely destroys him. And Carson is completely wide open, doesn't tuck the ball, doesn't get into a position to uh, protect himself or the ball, or doesn't throw the ball away, which he's at probably five yards, not even five feet from the sideline, Chris. He could have easily just kept running out of bounds and <laughs> ended the play. So there's no spatial awareness of this veteran. We keep calling him a, a veteran quarterback. And on that play, he just gets destroyed. Chris? He's just, I was just saying, I'm holding up five. He's a fifth year. You know, this is – Fifth year, yeah. So that's what makes them really frustrating. And, you know, the, the desire to, to want to make – plays that are kind of unreasonable to hold on to the ball, to not have the vision. Um, you know, he's got to know when to say when. And it seems to me that um, Wentz is sort of operating with a uh, anything can happen kind of mentality. And I think it's a really dangerous way to look at the game. I think there are times where he's able to make big plays because he has that mentality and he's willing to take risks. But uh, especially with holding the ball um, and backing up, 
I just see this thing where he, he winds himself into a corner and the defense knows exactly how to play it. And they kind of just overwhelm him. By the time he recognizes where the defense is, they're already on top of him. Um, you can see it coming, but more on yeah. the Yeah, I, I want to move to uh, the second fumble, fourth and third, 11 minutes, 40 seconds left in the second quarter. Uh, Wentz has uh, Ward and Reggard stacked wide open in the middle of the field. He he could have just thrown right in the middle of the field and either one of the guys would have come up with the ball, which he's, he's, he's done in the past, kind of thrown to a position and one of the receivers has come up with it. We've seen it earlier this year. Now, Vanderesh, a very talented linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, comes on a slightly delayed blitz. But Carson Wentz has a decent pocket set up. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence takes an outside step uh, and brings Malata to the outside, and that opens up the hole for Vanderesh. And there isn't a running back in there to step up and fill for Wentz. But still, there's uh, time for Wentz to get the ball off in a clean pocket to one of those guys clearly over the first down. Mind you, we only need to get three yards, Chris. Uh, We don't need to throw a bomb downfield. It should be uh, two, two and a half seconds, something that uh, Ben Roethlisberger is averaging for time in the pocket, time in the ball in hand and getting it out. And it, it should be a quick throw. And he gets pummeled by Vanderesh and fumbles the ball again. And he gets up with this dumb look on his face, looking at Peterson, like, where did that come from? What happened there? What happened was you weren't playing like a veteran, a five-year veteran, reading the blitz and not seeing the open man. So We've said this over the past few weeks. He locks on to one receiver. He doesn't go through his progressions. And he had an open guy because Van Der Es blitzed and left the center wide open. And he could have caught two uh, open guys who probably would have gone for a couple yards after the catch. And he missed a great opportunity that turned into a turnover. Yeah, those hesitations are some of the most frustrating plays. You know, him him committing the turnovers and all that is frustrating also, but him just holding on to the ball and having these opportunities to sort of freeze frame the play and look at the opportunity on that specific play you mentioned that Rager had to sort of curl and probably run to the end zone. Um, it, it's frustrating. And I think Wentz is in a position where he needs to have that vision. So, Yeah. So let's switch over to those two interceptions. Uh, the first one is him throwing into uh, double coverage. I believe it was – was it Fulgham or Rager? I, I think it's Rager in the back of the end zone. Yep, Rager in the back of the end zone. And uh, it was <laughs> Trayvon Diggs, Stefan Diggs' brother, who picks off the first one. Uh, the second one was a bomb up into the windy skies of Philadelphia to Hightower running downfield. Now, Hightower did not run the, uh, the best route. I do think the wind affected the ball, uh, but it, it was Carson Wentz punting the ball away, mm-hmm. and he had thrown a couple – uh, balls down three, downfield earlier in the game with some mark under it. He should have had by now the sense of what the wind was doing to the ball and the movement of the wind against the ball. And in this case, with the arc and the loft that he had under this ball, uh, this thing got completely off uh, course. And it was uh, Diggs playing center field and coming down with the ball. Now, I, I do want to uh, read you something interesting I pulled from uh, Pro Football Focus here, Chris, just on uh, Diggs, Trayvon Diggs himself. Uh, the sort of Diggs NFL career really could not have been much worse. Through his first seven games, Diggs gave up a whopping 437 yards in coverage, the second most in the entire NFL. 
that would help give him the second round that would help give the second round rookie a 46.9 coverage grade ranking him 91st of 113 qualifying quarterbacks uh, <laughs> basically the, this was one of the worst cornerbacks in the league that after this game was probably his career maybe definitely his job was in jeopardy he was going to get benched Mm -hmm. Carson Wentz saved this guy from getting benched Chris that's how poor his performance was on Sunday night and that is just pitiful to have to give up two interceptions to a rookie that has a grade that bad in the NFL. And both interceptions coming on, you know, really risky throws on Wentz's part, the result of poor decision-making. And, you know, Correct. I think if, if Wentz is in a position where balls are getting picked off because the ball blinks off the receiver's hands into the cornerback's hands, that's a different scenario. But we're seeing Wentz sort of try to force it, and when he forces it, that the defense is reading it and making plays on the ball, even the worst of cornerbacks. And I'll even stretch it beyond Trayvon Diggs to say the whole of the Dallas defense hadn't created all that many turnovers um, before this game. So, you know, that that's worth taking into account as well. So there's a lot on Carson Wentz that we may touch on uh, on another bi-week podcast this week. And just to preview another small part of that, because I'm sure that he will be a factor. Uh, beyond the sort of opening scripted plays of the last few games this year, which have been nice to see, Doug Peterson, Douglas Irvin Peterson, has really, <laughs> has really been a disappointment. Um, his play calling, despite having added Marty Morningweg and all these other uh, offensive minds to the fold, um, we are seeing some of the things that used to be his strengths, as I mentioned on previous podcasts, short yardage calls, two-point conversions. Uh, these play calls, these designs are predictable and, as I mentioned, and just kind of weak overall. Um, my confidence level with Doug is, is low right now. And I think there was, you know, a time maybe four or five games ago where I would have said Doug's got all these injuries. He's got all these new pieces and practice squad people and all this different stuff to figure out. He's got to do what he's got to do. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But the last few weeks, there have been situations where I think Doug made the difference. Um, And luckily in this game, they were playing such a poor opponent. It didn't make a huge difference. But it was one of those things where um, you could feel in this game that, Uh, As Carson's getting up, as Matt mentioned, and looking over at the sideline at Doug, um, as two-point conversions aren't working and they're trying to run Jalen Hurts toward a pylon and he's getting absolutely popped by uh, the linebackers, you have to look over at Doug and just think there has to be another play we could have called here. Aren't we looking at uh, what we're doing well and then trying to recreate it until the defense can play against it? I mean, that's one thing I really haven't seen, and I guess maybe I'll start there. Um, that there are plays, and there's one I can think of, and this is um, given Doug's an offensive coach. Travis Fulgham, Matt mentioned Carson Wentz trying to go deep downfield, John Hightower throwing the ball into the very windy Philadelphia sky, and it was a windy Sunday night. But later in the game, he throws a lofting pass down the field to Travis Fulgham that looked almost identical to the pass that he threw him out in San Francisco on another Sunday night football game. That's one of the first times I've seen Doug Peterson Uh, call a play and let's hope it was Doug maybe it was Carson Um, but assuming it was Doug that he called a play given a scenario to a player where it's been successful before that we've seen and that as a fan I said I recognize that play I've seen that before Um, that that's one of those things that I think Doug I don't know if he's trying to reinvent the wheel every time but in this game again you know short of that play and maybe a couple of other moments I found myself really scratching my head with Doug, especially having to do with the run percentage, which is something we started off the podcast talking about. Matt. Yeah, Chris. Uh, You know, we talked about it. uh, What was it? Eagles Ravens when they go to Deshaun, Deshaun's back. And the first series has a lot of good connections with Deshaun. And then we don't see Deshaun the rest of the game until he gets hurt. Same with the run as we talked about, why not stick to the run, set up play action? You know, uh, this guy is a former quarterback. He should be able to see, he should be able to diagnose what's wrong with quarter, what's wrong with Carson Wentz, uh, the fastest out of any other coach on the field there. 
Uh, and he's just not. He's not adapting. Uh, I know McCarthy for the Cowboys is having a tough first year down there. But one of the things I, I respect about McCarthy is there was one call that did not go his way. And his face was as red as Andy Reid's Kansas City's jacket. That's how pissed off he got. And he was in the ref's uh, face. He threw down his headset. He threw down his uh, play calling sheet. He got pissed off. And he let the refs hear, uh, hear it. And I don't know. I don't see that out of Peterson at all. And That's an interesting point. And, and I think, you know, as, as I think about that, something that occurred to me last game is I, I noticed on two occasions Doug and Carson talking. And I thought – for some reason, I thought, well, that's kind of odd. I'm not used to seeing them have regular conversations in games. And I don't know if that's something that's kind of fallen by the wayside or that Doug's not doing as much or that he doesn't feel, uh, you know, that same connection with Carson. Because clearly we saw it in, in recorded history uh, between him and Nick Foles and the sort of camaraderie and the, the dialogue that they were able to have. So Doug, to me, seems like a reasonable guy, definitely a player's coach, like Matt said, comes with that experience, played 14 years in the league. I mean, you would have to hope that he has that vision, that understanding, but that's been the most troubling thing is he doesn't seem to have his finger on the pulse of what's happening in game. And a good play caller knows what to call and when to call it. And we're not really seeing a lot of that timely stuff. I mean, he's called a lot of two-point, called four, I should say, a lot of two-point conversion this year. And I would really, man, I would shudder to think of what our percentage is. I'll bet it's really low, staggeringly low. Yeah, I don't get it, Chris. Uh, I, I worked out the point scenario on the first one in my head. Yes, it was successful, and it was a pass. And still, yes, great, it was successful. I don't understand why in that case we don't just kick the extra points. makes it a 14-9 to game. Uh, and in the second case, what is he trying to do with Jalen Mills? I don't see that as good. Uh, God, Jalen Hurts. I, I always get our Jalens confused here. Jalen Hurts. I don't see that as, you know, a teachable moment, putting him in in that two-point conversion play and getting walloped by the uh, linebacker. It, he he could have gotten hurt. It was more of an oh, shit moment. I'm not as fast as these NFL guys as I was in college. I can't outrun them to the corner and get into the end zone. And I don't know, maybe that was the teachable moment, but getting your player hurt or putting him into a high-risk situation isn't a way to teach your player <laughs> uh, that point, Chris. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, to be um... – Maybe it's a little revisionist history, but when we drafted Jalen Hurts, there was such an uproar and such a, a surprise from the Philadelphia fan base. But part of me thought, you know, Doug's crafty. They're bringing in all these people. They'll figure out how to use this guy. I could see the potential for using this guy or trying to figure something out where they have two quarterbacks on the field. Or uh, We haven't seen any of them. I mean, they gave this guy this sort of toy to play with, and he, he really hasn't done much with it at all. Now, maybe you'd say the whole sort of two-quarterback system and using – uh, hurts the way that Taysom Hill is used or allowing him to throw the ball, allowing him to run the ball is sort of a, a college thing that, that has no place in the NFL. But it happened. He's here. And my thought was Doug has the intuition and, and the creativity uh, to make this guy a useful piece of the offense. And there might have been one or two things I've seen with Jalen Hurts, but that's a big part of the, the game with Doug and especially – opting for all these two-point conversions that if we sp get really specific he's used Jalen Hurts uh in poor ways in my opinion since he's gotten here uh on two-point conversion plays where I think he probably could have scored if the design was different uh, even if it was still a run yeah Chris you know what we saw a lot from the Cowboys this week because they had a third string CAA quarterback that was throwing sidearm down the field uh, was a lot of trickery, a lot of reverses, a lot of fake reverses. They try to do a wide receiver pass, but they knew that they had to switch it up to uh, beat us. They knew that they had to throw some trickery in the mix to try to gain the upper hand on a better opponent. They, they knew that we were the better opponent coming into this game because of 
what they uh, were putting out in the field as far as personnel goes. Well, we faced an undefeated Steelers team. We faced a very good Ravens team. And, you know, we had, we're supposed to have this card up our sleeve in Jalen Hurts. And we still haven't used him uh, for any production. And uh, once again, that falls on Peterson. And I, as I mentioned before, uh, Peterson comes from that Andy Reid coaching tree. And as you brought up, he's played 14 years in the league. So he's seen it from both sides of the ball as a coach and as a player. This guy should not only uh, be able to motivate his players, but should be able to you know, come up with these different scenarios, different play calls, and the play calling for lack of a better term has been milk toast. It, it really has been. It's been yeah. more the same. Mm-hmm. It's been getting away from things that have been working and, you know, not coming out in the second half with a better game plan than what was in the first. Chris? And not really being able to utilize the run game, you know, not just as we want to see it as fans, but as it makes sense to use it. You know, there have been times we haven't had Miles Sanders this year where Doug hasn't leaned on the run game. And I say, okay, they don't have Sanders. I can understand it. But even when they've had Miles, it just seems very lopsided. And, and part of that is the Eagles have been playing from behind a lot this year. But this game, we're, we're seeing Boston Scott on his first touch take it 20 yards. I mean, to me, that should have been, you know, uh, red flags to Doug to say, hey, look it. The rest of the game, let's just try to run the ball as much as possible to sort of control things and calm things down where we need to because Boston's getting the yards. I mean, identifying what your players do well and allowing them to do it. You know, he, yeah. like that Fulgham play I mentioned, that's a play he runs well, let him do it. Boston Scott was running the ball really well, especially to the right, uh, let him do it. You know, if these are things that you're seeing as a coach, you got to be able to go back to them. So, you know, I think that uh, there's lots of questions with Doug. There's lots of questions with Carson, as we mentioned. Um, but pertaining to this game, um, it's really the play calling from Doug uh, and, in terms of Carson, I really think it comes down to the turnovers, um, the decision-making and everything else. I mean, the, just, the, the turnovers are the end result and they're the things that really kill the momentum of the team. And all of these were really self-inflicted. And Matt, I thought, did a good job of sort of outlining the fact that he had options in those situations and he opted for the riskiest and unfortunately the worst outcome. Um, so all that having been said, the Eagles sit atop the NFC East they are 3-4-1. They got the win in this game by double digits. But we as fans, we have questions. And, and this whole year has had a sort of funk to it. Um, and this season is no different. But despite the fact that the Eagles won this game on Sunday Night Football over their arch rival, despite the fact they're in first place, uh, we still have some question marks. So there are some bright spots, as we touched on. Uh, we got hope for Jalen Reger. We're seeing great things from Travis Fulgham and Greg Ward. Brandon Graham's having a breakout year. Darius Slay is just what we thought he'd be. There are bright spots, but uh, lots of question marks, too. And I think on our next pod, uh, given that we're on the bye week, we'll seek to break some of those things down and probably start off talking about, about Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. Yeah. I agree, Chris. It's going to be a great follow-up podcast. Uh, Just one last question, Mark, that doesn't really have to do with the Eagles. Uh, Who is it? Uh, Chris Collinsworth and uh, Al Michaels. Um, I'm sorry. Al Michaels has to retire, man. He's uh, he's, he's just – I I like the guy a lot. I hate Collinsworth. Let the record show. I think I've already showed that on the podcast before, but – uh, unfortunately, uh, Al's just getting too old for the job, uh, and he's uh, he's starting to slip. Uh, I think he started off the broadcast by saying that he the uh, Eagles and Cowboys weren't in the NFC East, or that both teams weren't in the NFC East, and he had a, a lot of flubs along the way. So legendary career, but uh, I, I think it's time to uh, hang the mic up. Yeah, that that whole product probably needs uh, a review. I mean, I think it's one of those things where, like, you know, Ditka got to the point where he was, like, falling asleep on set. (laughs) And so did John Madden. (laughs) I think it's one of those things where because, excuse me, like Madden, uh, Al Michaels is mostly relying on his voice. He still does have that iconic voice. He's just, you know... uh, not always right on with the content. So I agree with you. Um, I mean, the Eagles really have gotten the D list in terms of announcers this year because they're 
uh, performance has been so poor, but in these primetime games, it, it's really apparent that, that uh, NBC needs to look about making a change there. Yep. And uh, we did also talk uh, previously to the podcast, the three questionable refereeing calls, Danucci's fourth and one QB sneak. Uh, it looked like he was short. Yeah. They, they gave it to him by a hair. Definitely tough to overcall. Uh, Peterson kept the flag in his pockets. You're going to lose that more than win that. Probably the right call by Peterson. McLeod scoop and score. We're not going to question it as Eagles fans. I, I will take that every day, but um, you know, for the review, uh, could, could have been a, a little questionable. And then finally the, uh, safety pooch punt, uh, towards the end of the game, big scrum ensued, Chris, that's probably the last place I'd, uh, want to be. Um, that, that seemed like uh torture to me being on the bottom of that pile. And you had both teams pointing, uh, towards their direction. After uh, about five minutes, it seemed like the refs were cold and just wanted to go home and just said, yeah, why not Eagles ball? So once again, we won't question it as fans and we'll take the ball. And, you know, we came away with the win, but uh, just some, uh, some suspect uh, refereeing out there, but two of the three calls went our way and we walked away with the win. Yeah, and truthfully, the referee matches the competition. It was a sloppy night, yes. football, uh, a cold and windy Sunday night, and I think the refs, as Matt mentioned before the podcast, maybe just wanted to get out of there. Um, but, yeah, it kind of matched. I mean, this was really a, a sloppy matchup uh, in the worst division in the NFL, um, and despite what the score looks like, the game was not uh, fun to watch uh, yeah. at a lot of levels. And I think our predictions last week, Matt, I, th- I was like 35 35- 17 uh Andrew was up in the 30s and down in the teens for the Cowboys I mean everybody had uh a real beatdown sort of predicted and we've yet to see that this year if, if you remember we were also predicting that against the Giants and that didn't wind up happening so I think in the NFC East we can always expect it to be close but the Eagles escape with this victory they are three four and one they're on the bye week they'll return uh, on Sunday November the 15th to, to play the New York Giants up in the Meadowlands. Um, so we'll hope that uh, they're able to get a little bit more of an upper hand in that division matchup. But until then, Matt, good job tonight, man. And we'll be back uh, probably on Friday night this week to uh, do a bi-week podcast on some bigger topics, uh, namely Doug and Carson, as I mentioned. Yeah. Looking forward to it, Chris. Go Birds. Go Birds. <laughs>